You're listening to the Eurofo Radio Network, and this is the Andrew Carrington Hitchcock Show with your host, Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. Hello, everybody. Joining me today is Frosty Waldridge, an absolute expert on immigration. I've heard him on many different radio shows over the years, and I'm honoured that he's joining me today. Frosty, are you with me? I'm right here with you, Andy, and thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you and this listening audience, and I hope in the next hour that we really dig into the current crisis facing Europe, uh, America, Canada, and Australia, uh, the first world countries of the world, when it comes to the immigration crisis, uh, the refugee crisis, and also the environmental crisis and the sociological crisis that all countries face uh, with this modern-day 21st-century immigration juggernaut that's really steaming down on all countries. And my goal during this hour is to provide listeners with common-sense understanding and, and an appreciation of the final result of mass immigration and overpopulation and environmental and, and certainly quality of life and standard of living issues that very few of the big leaders uh, want to speak about. And so we're going to really cover that in this next hour. Absolutely. And to start off, uh, Frosty, uh, can you give uh, the listeners your bio and uh, the various different uh, things you've done, books, etc., your website, where people can get those, and just, you know, an all-round bio of uh, who Frosty Waldridge is and your background, please? Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm a Michigan State University graduate, uh, 1970. I did a postgraduate degree in English literature from Grand Valley State University. These schools are both in Michigan. I then uh, uh, have become a math and science teacher uh, in Denver, Colorado, where I live now, Denver, Colorado. And in the summers, uh, because I was a teacher, uh, I had three months off and uh, amazingly not too much money. So I started touring on a bicycle. And since 1970, I have bicycled more than 150,000 miles across six continents from the Arctic all the way to Antarctica, uh, 11 times across the United States, almost 100 countries. And during that time, I started writing books and adventure articles. And it wasn't until 1984 when I bicycled into uh, uh, literally uh, China uh, and India and Bangladesh that uh, as a kid, I didn't think much of it. But then I saw those countries and I saw people stacked on each other and stacked upon one another I sailed on the Yangtze River and the Ganges, and they were giant sewer pipes leading into the ocean with 20,000 square mile dead zone of just completely contaminated and poisoned waters. And as you can imagine, I then connected the dots. Uh, and from that point, I started writing on uh, environment, and I started writing on the, what's happening to countries that are overloaded with too much population, so much so that they can't do anything about their condition or situation. They simply suffer into it. And so I wrote uh, 12 books, and those books are at my website. I have two websites. One's a serious website. It's www.frostywooldridge.com, F-R-O-S-T-Y-W-O-O-L-D-R-I-D-G-E, Dot com And my fun website on adventure is www.howtolivealifeofadventure.com. I'm also on Facebook, Frosty Wooldridge, and that's on Facebook. And I also have a Facebook page 
that's on adventure, and that's how to live a life of adventure, colon, the art of exploring the world. And my books that are very serious are Immigration's Unarmed Invasion, Deadly Consequences, and it's the eight ways in which uh, America and all Western countries are being destroyed by immigration, both the sociological impact, both uh, uh, linguistic uh, impact, and of course, the cultural impact. And that's really the big key here uh, when it comes to all of this immigration flooding into first world countries. Uh, and so if you, if you ever have any questions, you can go to those websites. There's contact numbers, and I'm willing to uh, answer any questions. And the biggest thing is, when I was in Antarctica, I wrote for the Antarctic Sun, and I worked with the National Science Foundation, and I really found out, this was 18 years ago, what we're facing as a species. And the climactic, it's, you can call it catastrophic uh, climate destabilization. And the human race right now is really on a collision course with its own numbers, but it's also on a collision course with nature, if you will, Mother Nature. And uh, I want to uh, hope, hopefully share that with everyone. Uh, but uh, those are just the, uh, the basics of my life. I'm, uh, I'm married, uh, and I, 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 have, uh, I, I carry on with sports and travel still, and I, I really enjoy what... I have enjoyed as far as the American dream and living it to the max, but I would also like to share with future generations, not only here, but all around the world, uh, the ability to have a functioning uh, civilization and, and that the United States and certainly the UK and all of Europe and Canada and Australia and Africa and South America and Mexico and all these countries uh, have viable populations and sustainable populations so that everyone can pursue their lives uh, no matter what their race, no matter what their color, no matter what their ethnic group, uh, really to enjoy a positive life, but also to keep a balance in the natural world uh, so that we all can uh, you know, maintain uh, throughout this century and beyond. That's, those are my goals, and that's what I really speak up on uh, when I speak across the country and around the world. Thank you very much, Frosty. That's excellent information. A great bio, very informative. Now, um, we were going to hit uh, the immigration this, um, in this hour that we've got. Uh, so what I've got here, I mean, from an article that I did, um, essentially for the USA, it was 1965 where things changed, where the national origins legislation was replaced by the Hart-Seller Act, also known as the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, which essentially you know, opened the floodgates to African, Asian, etc. immigration, who were prevented under national origins legislation. But do you have that change in America at that time, or do you have it any earlier? I mean, where would you like to start? Uh, you know, it's uh, over to you as to where you'd like to start this uh, talk on how immigration changed throughout the world and why all, all the white nations seem to be suffering from an immigration crisis today. Well, what happened in the United States in 1965, and I was a freshman in college, and at that point, uh, Teddy Kennedy was a senator uh, in the U.S. Congress, and he and Howard Metzenbaum and also Jacob Javits uh, created uh, a new immigration called Immigration Reform Act of 1965. Previous to that time, the immigration from 1924 through 65 was about 175,000 immigrants coming into America from mostly 
uh, European nations. So there was a, a seamless uh, melting of the melting pot, if you will, uh, of uh, cultures because the cultures were similar and the language was English and everyone got along and it worked very well. But in 1965, uh, that new Immigration Reform Act jumped the immigration uh, into the United States from one uh, from that 175,000 per year, which is about as how many people egress the country. Uh, so it kept for a net gain of zero. Uh, it then went from that to 1.2 uh, million per year, or 100,000 each month, every 30 days. And some of that time uh, over the last 40 odd years, uh, it jumped to 1.5 million. But just the legal immigration coming into our country of the United States jumped the population in 1965 from about 194 million by October of 2006. Now, the population of America jumped to 300 million. And right now, growing at 3.1 million per year because of mass immigration and also illegal immigration, uh, the United States is growing by 3.1 million per year, and we are on course uh, because of uh, immigration legally and illegally and chain migration of relatives along with diversity visas. The United States is on course to hit 438 million people or an addition of 138 million since uh, 2006 when we hit 300 million and, of course, we have seven states right now that are in water shortages. California is in an exceptional drought. They have exceptional problems with water right now, but so do California, uh, so uh, Florida, which has 18 million people right now. The state of Florida, it is on course to hit 36 million or a doubling. So you can see that there's a problem. Uh, Georgia also is going to double its population, and it's already with water shortages. Texas, uh, of course, Nevada. Uh, New Mexico, Arizona are all on course to have severe water shortages. And in this century, of course, we're going to have energy shortages. And we also have resource shortages. So we are really in a collision course with our own numbers unless we change course. But the same thing has happened to Canada. They're about to add 10 million. And so is uh, all of Europe in a, in a great crisis. And I, I would bring the UK into this picture because I know the UK has a landmass around the size of the state of Oregon here in the United States. There are about 4 million people living in Oregon and they mm -hmm. feel like they're too crowded already. But of course, we all know that the United Kingdom has around 62 million people. And I think at this point, the immigration into the United Kingdom is going to add another 11 million within the next 20 years at current immigration rates and birth rates of those immigrants. Now, I hope that everyone understands that since 1970, uh, the United States of America, Canada, all of Europe, and even Australia, all first world countries, chose stable populations of two children or less. And in fact, the birth rates in Europe are around 1.5 uh, in that vicinity, uh, you know, give or take a bit. So these first world countries uh, took responsibility for the future. Unfortunately, since 1970, uh, when I was in college, uh, there were 3.5 billion people on the planet, B as in boy. And those 3.5 billion then jumped to 7.3 billion because the third world didn't take any responsibility, essentially, for Earth Day in 1970. 
and simply steamed ahead by having, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, and 10 kids uh, per mother. Uh, and so the third world just screamed, if you will, or skyrocketed to 7.3 billion. And now the third world is starving. They're somewhere between 1.5 and 2 billion that can't get a clean glass of water every day. You also then have uh, 10 million children under the age of 12 that starve to death every year. Around 8 million adults die of starvation or starvation-related diseases. And so there's no solution. And, and the great tragedy is, is that every year the third world uh, adds uh, about 78 to 80 million new babies. So as you can imagine, Andy, and everyone listening to this broadcast, the third world has chosen no solutions like birth control or family planning. Uh, they then cause themselves this massive population overload. And let me make this really clear. What's happening with the refugee crisis in Europe right now will not solve the third world's problems. Because Africa, right now, according to the United Nations population projections, has 1.1 billion people. Well, by 20. 50, which is only 34 years from now, Africa will feature 2 billion people. And before the end of the century, the population projections for Africa will be 4 billion people. And of course, if you think that there's a horrendous refugee crisis in Africa right now, whether it's Libya or the Sudan or whether it's Ethiopia or the Congo or all of those places, Kenya, uh, Morocco, certainly Egypt, Egypt has around 82 million right now, and they're headed for 150 million people. So what you're seeing here is uh, irreversible consequences and unsolvable problems. And what I have tried to do over the years of my writing, both Immigration's Unarmed Invasion, Deadly Consequences, and my second book on it, which is America on the Brink, the next added 100 million Americans, is bring the facts out bring what's happening out, because I've seen it firsthand. And once a population juggernaut, a, a population number lands on a country, it, it, it's, it's, you can't solve it. India can't solve its problems right now because it grows by six, anywhere from 14 to 16 million people net gain every year. And it's about to overtake China, which has a one child per family, but China also adds, because of what is called population momentum, uh, China adds uh, another 8 million net gain per year. So the two of those giants, by 2050, which is 34 years from now, will feature over 3 billion people themselves. And then you can imagine the water crises, the energy crises, the contamination uh, of the soils, the the contamination of the rivers. I've, I've sailed on the Yancey and the Ganges, and they are giant sewer pipes that are flowing into the oceans uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and poisoning the oceans. And, 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 and of course, I could go into all sorts of things like the plastic contamination and the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. I've also scuba dived all over the planet and all the oceans of the world since 1965, and the oceans have turned into giant plastic dumps and, and garbage dumps and oil dumps and chemical dumps and all that goes with that. And if you appreciate this, whether it's Europe or America or Russia, we're using the, the oceans as the final toilet. 
But that toilet is really starting to gurgle back up at us and backing up, and it's contaminating the fish. It's contaminating the marine life. Fukushima did so much radiation damage uh, with that great accident that all of us are going to pay a severe price uh, with the contaminated oceans, but also malfunctioning oceans as the fisheries start to collapse here in the next 20 to 30 years or less. So as you can imagine, as I set this scenario, we're in a lot of trouble. And what really has to happen is world leaders uh, need an international discussion debate on, on bringing the whole planet and all human beings and all these ancient religions to a a two-child or even a one-child family per woman around the planet. Because if we don't get there, then we're all going to uh, literally be uh, snared in this massive population overload. And that's the key here. We not only need discussions, we also need to engage the Pope. We need to engage the religion of Islam. We need to engage all of Christianity. We need to engage all of Hinduism. We need to engage the leaders instead of fighting birth control and family planning. These ancient religions need to come to terms with the 21st century and start advocating for birth control and responsible birth rates so that we as a species and the rest of the planet has a chance. And now, I met Norman Myers, who is from the uh, you know Oxford University, and if you go to Norman Myers, uh, N O R M A N M Y E R S, he did a thirty year study on the, the the species extinction rates around the world, and and we're losing one hundred species per day uh, to extinction, and, and no one wants to talk about that, but that's because of human. Uh, encroachment on habitat. I've I've traveled through South America for a year, and I I got to see the Amazon. It's being cut down at over an acre uh, a minute. An acre a minute's being burned and cut, and then cleared. But unfortunately, the Amazon is grown on on sand dunes, and there's a very thin topsoil, and so it's it, it just gets laid waste, and then all of a sudden the trees are no longer there, and then you no longer have the rainforests. Then you have, again, this catastrophic climate destabilization that's going on. And then when you have, uh, I think right now China has uh, is adding 27 million, 27 million new cars net gain every year because they want to they be like we are. And, of course, the carbon footprint is extraordinary. Uh, to give you some sobering reality checks, the human race right now burns 94 million barrels of oil every day. Uh, and through all sorts of cars and you name it. Well, how much is 94 million barrels of oil? Well, a barrel is a 42 gallons per drum and it's 20 inches, 20 inches across the bottom. Okay. If you take 94 million barrels of oil side by side, it would create a belt of oil uh, over 25,000 miles around the equator. That's how much oil we burn every day, and we do it in 24 hours, and then we fill up all those barrels, and, and by 12.01 a.m. in the morning, we start burning them again. And those barrels of oil, well over 25, about 26, 7,000 uh, miles worth of, of bo- barrels of oil, just spew extraordinary amounts of carbon particulate and carbon into the uh, biosphere. 
and that gets absorbed by the oceans. And now the oceans are becoming acidic. And acidic oceans kill marine life, kill the phytoplankton. And the phytoplankton give us 80% of our oxygen on this planet. But it also kills the reefs and it kills all of the, the ecosystems in the oceans. And, and I try to bring this out. Uh, and I've tried to be on 60 Minutes. I've tried to get on Charlie Rose. I've tried to get on National Public Radio. I've done everything I can. But there are massive, uh, powerful, moneyed forces and I'm sure in Europe and I'm sure in the, in all of the UK that want more population growth because that means they get to sell more goods and they get to build more houses and they get to create more highways and all that goes with that. But the end result is a, is a Faustian bargain. And that Faustian bargain is selling your economic soul for the moment uh, and, and, and for the consequences in the future. For those of you who know those consequences, it's called Hobson's Choice. And so with this understanding, I hope that each person listening really grabs this information and understands that uh, just like Easter Island, the United Kingdom is an island, but this whole planet's an island. And if you overwhelm it, and I, and I, I know one thing, unlimited growth, it's called exponential growth. Exponential growth is endless growth. It's like the same growth of, and the modus operandi of a cancer virus. A cancer will keep growing and growing until it simply uh, displaces all of the healthy tissue and then kills the organism. Well, the human race, as a metaphor, is literally growing and growing and growing with no end in sight. Uh, we, we add a billion every 12 years. We're on course from the current 7.3 billion to well over 10 billion by 2050 and does anybody talk about that and, and with any kind of of solutions of like what should we do because we know what kind of consequences are coming at us uh, but the fact is we are what is called cognitive dissonance we're an intellectual denial of our future and our current realities and we just keep steaming ahead as if it's all going to work out well it, it's not going to work out in our favor uh, in fact, Mother Nature is one of the uh, one of the ladies that's going to be out there saying, you know, I'm not going to tolerate this. And, and so for for me and for every person that's listening today, we need to do something. We need to take action, because if we don't, then we are going to have actions taken against us. And uh, I've, I've written another it's a, it's a 15 part series on what's going to happen to us. And I use famous quotes. And here's a quote by the Nobel laureate, Dr. Henry W. Kendall. He said, and I quote, If we don't halt population growth with justice and compassion, it will be done by, for us by nature, brutally and without pity, and will leave a ravaged world, unquote. That's what we face. And that's what's coming. And, and for those of you who appreciate that the refugee crisis right now that's flooding Europe and flooding America for the last 45 years, it, it never solves itself. And here is a, a quote by a man that I met, Dr. Otis Graham from Stanford University in his book, Unguarded Gates. And he said, and I quote, most Western elites continue urging the wealthy West not to stem the migrant tide that adds 80 million net gain annually to the planet but to absorb our global brothers and sisters 
until their horrid ordeal has been endured and shared by all. Ten billion humans packed onto an ecologically devastated planet, unquote. Andy, does that, does that ring truth to you? Does it ring reality to you? And, and is this appreciated from your perspective right now as you listen to this presentation? Absolutely, Frosty, and thank you for going into all that detail. There's a couple of, you know, we you talk about the, you know, the the pollution aspect of of what what all this uh, unrestricted population growth is causing, as well as the social difficulties where it's kind of flooding out of um, the Middle East and the African countries, etc., because their population uh, rate, growth rates are far higher than those in the white nations. But I think there's also an element of destabilization taking place with all these mid-east wars for example they they need to make out that the immigrants coming in it's not their fault so they're refugees and you find out they're all coming from countries that both britain and america have gone into and destroyed like you know iraq uh libya um syria and now i just see that um on the front page a headline from the times of israel uh netanyahu saying Iran preparing another holocaust. This is from a May the 15th article. So, of course, mm. Israel keep ramping up the fact that uh, Iran is a problem so that they're hoping that we'll go in there. That will create more refugees that will come into Europe. I think there's a sustained effort to uh, populate just white nations with uh, non-white immigrants. And for whatever reason, they seem to want to get rid of the white people. These immigrants, when they come over, they always overpopulate um, that, sorry, their birth rate, as you said, is, seems to be higher than those of, of the uh, people in the white nations. For example, I saw an article here from the New Observer. This is um, May the 14th, and uh, it actually refers to an area that I lived in. It's called London Cockneys being exterminated, and Cockney is like a, a dialect. You have Cockney rhyming slang. You, you know what I mean, just to let the listeners know for anyone who's unfamiliar. Um, but basically... Uh, I actually lived in that area back in 2000, um, I believe, and it was it was pretty bad then. And it was an area called Newham in the that's the the sort of Metropolitan Council. It's part of London. Uh, there's places like West Ham, Stratford, uh, East Ham, Upton Park. I lived in West Ham, and it was bad then. And the article now says that there's less than. Uh, 30% of the population are white. Uh, this is from a documentary that's going to go out on the BBC on May the 24th entitled Last Whites of the East End. Uh, and it says it shows that the tradi traditional Cockney East London home now looks like Baghdad. And it talks about um, some Cockneys were interviewed for the documentary. One of them, Leanne Oakham, is a sixth generation Cockney and currently lives on the same street in Newham as her mother and sister Amy. She told the filmmaker she's planning to move out of the area, as is the rest of her family. It's not like the old East End where everyone knew everyone and we all left our doors open, she said. It's just scary now. And, um, you know, and, and the other point, to, to that, that's to see the human element of what it does. I mean, these people, their whole families grew up here and they're having to move because the areas become Islamicized or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the term would be, but that's what happens. These uh, 
immigrants come in and they take over an area and they have more children than other people and so they expand, they build their mosques, they bring their own culture over and they don't change. A lot of them don't even speak English. They just come here, they think they'll get a better life here, but they make no effort to integrate and they can't integrate because they're not of the indigenous populations of the nations that they're coming to. So there's that point, the human element, and how it affects just families. But also I wanted to touch on, because you talked about, and not a lot of people talk about this when they're talking about the immigration issue. They stay on you know, the social problems that it causes. But it's very interesting when you went through the, uh, the amount of oil and the pollution that that causes. What's your view? Because, of course, I'm a sceptic when it comes to all this global warming and climate change, simply because the powers that be uh, promote promote this all the time so uh, of course it started off as global warming and then when they realized that earth was cooling in in uh, a number of areas they changed it to climate change so that covers them either way whether it cools down or heats up what's your view obviously you you see that there's a problem with all the pollution would you say that that is causing what the government is saying with climate change or is it causing something else that they're not admitting to us well let me go to the first uh, point that you made about uh, Cockney and the yeah. change going on. Uh, this is, uh, these are two quotes I think are very important, especially for the United Kingdom and all of Europe. Uh, you know, as Paul Weston said on a, an, a recent interview uh, on C-SPAN that I just listened to, uh, and he's out of the UK, he said that Sweden is a doomed country. And one of the reasons for that is, is that all Ethnic groups, tribes, if you will, vie for dominance. Uh, you know, it was the Romans back in the Roman time, but then the Visigoths, and the Goths, and the Vandals all came down onto the Roman Empire, and they got a little too fat and sassy, and they got integrated, and then they just simply, uh, the, the, the immigrants destroyed all of Rome. Well, here's one that's particular because I think you have to understand that Islam is, is systemically a violent religion. Uh, in fact, I've read the, the Quran and I've done a, a 22 part series on uh, Muslims in America and around the world. I did a 15 part series on uh, impregnating uh, America with Muslims. And I did a, an eight part series called the most violent religion on planet earth. And here's a quote from a uh, Diana, Saraswati, he was an Indian sage in 1883, but I have a, two dozen of the same kinds of, of quotes. And here it is, quote, having thus given a cursory view of the Quran, I lay it before the sensible person with the purpose that they should know what kind of a book the Quran is. I have no hesitation to say that it cannot be the work of either God or a learned man nor can it be a book of knowledge. Here its very vital defect has been exposed with the object that people may not lay waste their lives falling into its imposition. The Quran is the result of ignorance, the source of animalization of human beings, a fruitful cause of destroying peace, an incentive to war, and the propagator of hostility among men, and a promoter of suffering in society. As to the defect of repetition, the Koran is its store, unquote. And let me clarify that. The Koran instigates and mandates violence against any and all other groups. 
the infidels. That, that just to jump in there, Frosty, and before yes. I hand, hand back to you, that sound, the Quran sounds very much like the Talmud in that respect. Wouldn't you agree? Well, that's correct. And it's very much part and parcel of that. And, and even Winston Churchill, whom I have highest regard for, he, he, he talked about the Quran. And, and when he did, he, he, he said that uh, it, it, it literally, he said, individual Muslims may show splendid qualities, but the influence of the religion paralyzes the social development of all those who follow it. No stronger retrograde force exists in the world, unquote, uh, by Winston Churchill. That's important because I have before me on my screen about 20 different quotes that are from different people from all over the world. Uh, Tatakwal, John Wesley, uh, William Eaton, I mean, you just go, John Quincy Adams, and they all came to the same conclusion. And, and the real crisis is that Islam is just not able to enter into the 21st century because it's stuck in the 6th century, and it, 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 it can't help itself. If, if you look at Brussels, uh, uh, you know, Belgium, if you look at Paris, France, if you look at the subways uh, in UK, if you look at the beheadings that have happened uh, in, in America now, we have beheadings, we have female genital mutilation, we have... Uh, killings of gays. Uh, we we have we have women's rights are crushed by Islam. It's the most misogynistic religion on the planet. But once again, as Winston Churchill said, once a man gets his brain locked into the Quran, it becomes paralyzed. And then you have 9/11, and then you have the Boston Marathon, and then you have the beheadings in Moore, Oklahoma, and then you have. Uh, Garland, Texas, when they're going to spray bullets through an entire uh, meeting house. And then you have uh, San Bernardino, where two Muslims just blew up a Christmas party. And and just because their minds are contaminated to the point where they follow the Quran. And I think it was, I think this is what was said by Muhammad. And he said, and I quote, I I have been made victorious through terror, unquote. Well, that's no way to operate in a civil world. You, you know, and, and unfortunately, Islam does not allow women's rights. It doesn't allow personal choice for religion. It doesn't allow personal choice of, of a marriage partner. It doesn't uh, allow uh, children's rights. And it certainly doesn't allow women's rights. And so the more that these individuals from the Quran and the Muslim world uh, filtrate into first world countries, you're going to have conflict because these Muslims are, are eternal. They don't quit. And so here's another quote that I think is very important for uh, Europe and certainly the United Kingdom. And the quote is, and I, I quote it, any culture that will not defend itself against displacement through mass immigration faces extinction. That includes both time-tested and successful cultures. Embracing diversity results in cultural suicide. America's multicultural path guarantees its destruction via cultural clashes and conflict with Islam, Mexican, and African cultures that diametrically oppose American culture. The more diverse a country and more the more destructive and broken down its future. The more people, the more it destroys its quality of life and standard of living. The more it adds immigrants, the more destruction to its environment. The more it imports refugees, 
the faster America, Canada, UK, Europe, and Australia lose their own ability to function and worse, lose their identities. Exponential growth of any civilization leads to ultimate collapse. You can see it in Africa, in India, and China today. You will see it in Europe, Canada, Australia, UK, and America in the coming years if Western countries don't stop all forms of immigration, unquote. I hope each person listening to that quote understands that the United Kingdom and all of Europe, certainly Australia and Canada and America are all in the gun sights, if you, in the crosshairs, if you will, of this massive cultural, sociological, religious, uh, ethnic uh, uh, juggernaut that is literally mixing cultures that don't fit and don't coexist and simply, as uh, Paul Weston said, will lead to civil war. And that's the tragedy. And either we do something about it now and stop it. And I've, here in the United States, I've called for a complete shutdown of all immigration, help those immigrants in their own countries with their water, with their food, with whatever, and also with birth control. And if they don't choose that, then ultimately Mother Nature is going to uh, solve it. But if we don't stop it, then Mother Nature is going to solve it in the UK. Because again, the UK is no different than Easter Island. And as I said, exponential growth cannot be sustained, and it will not be sustained. And if we continue on that path, then we simply become the same victims uh, as that came uh, from Easter Island or the Mayans. You can go on down the line. And one of the people I worked with for many years was Dr. Albert Bartlett at the University of Colorado. And you can go to his website, www.albartlett.org. He was brilliant. And he died two years ago. And he said, and I quote, unlimited population growth cannot be sustained. You cannot sustain growth in the rates of consumption of resources no species can overrun the carrying capacity of a finite landmass. This law cannot be repealed and is not negotiable, unquote. So that now f- segues into... Uh, oh, I'll, I'll just jump in before we start the next topic, just to uh, give a comment there, um, Frosty. Sure. Thank you for that um, that explanation there and those quotes. Um, I mean, you mentioned, you know, San Bernardino and 9-11 and Boston bombing. A lot of those have been, you know, proved to be... Uh, are false flags or attributed to the wrong people. But I think the point is, is that they are still specifically blamed on Muslims. Um, um, The reason I raise that is that could this be part of this globalist plan to essentially put, you know, it's like two scorpions in a bottle almost, put uh, uh, these Muslims that hate the white culture that you went through the Quran and and said what their beliefs were until literally the indigenous white populations end up fighting them to actually have a big population control and take us down to something like uh, what was put on the Georgia Guidestones of 500 million. Well, there's, you know, there's all sorts of forces going on in the world. There are extremists. If you look at Bill Gates, he's a financial extremist. If if you look at Stalin, he was a political extremist. If you look at Gandhi, he was he was an extremist for his country. Uh, Jane Goodall is an extremist uh, and noted for her work with guerrillas 
Uh, Michael Phelps, the great swimmer, is an extremist athlete. Uh, you, you can go on down the line uh, for people that are uh, made great names. Caesar was an extremist. Uh, and so the same thing is going on in this world today. Uh, different religions are extremist religions. But the one thing I have found as a world traveler, you could call me uh, uh, an avatar uh, or you could call me an outlier or even a Cassandra uh, to whatever degree. But what I have seen is that these cultures don't mix. But beyond the fact that they don't mix, it's the numbers. And so when you come to that belt of oil that's 27,000 miles long and it gets burned every day, burned down and added to and burned down and added to, uh, no, whether you, you think, if you want to just disregard the catastrophic climate destabilization, uh, destabilization aspect of it, the fact remains that we are doing something that's not part of nature. We're burning all of this carbon uh, footprint uh, result and in its doing damage to uh, the oceans because the oceans are uh, absorbing all of this extra carbon, but also the particulates going into the into the soils and the, and there's seventy thousand different soils now, or excuse me, seventy thousand different chemicals that are injected into the land and the air and the water twenty four seven around the planet. Uh, you've got all sorts of contamination of the nitro fixing bacteria of the soils. You're seeing Monsanto with Roundup, and you've got GMOs that are now usurping the natural world. So when you put all of this in concert, you're really building a, a crescendo of consequences that we don't even know what's going to happen. Uh, we don't. It's almost like if the teacher walked out of a chemistry lab and all of the 20 kids in the chemistry lab said, "Let's take a bunch of chemicals and throw them into a into a glass jar." And, and let's see what happens. And, of course, all those chemicals may react and melt the jar and, you know, melt all over the table and down on the floor, or it might just blow up. Uh, and so we don't know. But I do know as a world traveler and also a math and science teacher, what we're doing with overpopulating this planet is going to come back at us and in this century in very serious and detrimental ways. And, and, and if you go to uh, Dr. Jack Alpert, another man that I work with who's an international speaker and he's uh, out of Stanford University, www.skil.org, skill, skil.org. He's got four videos and he shows where there's no way the human race can continue to keep growing its population and, and survive the 21st century because there's not enough resources like water and, 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 and certainly energy and certainly not enough uh, resources to power our cell phones, our, our plastic, uh, our cars, the metals, and so forth. In fact, Chris Clugston wrote a book called Scarcity, and I I'm, I'm also know him as a colleague. And we're, we're tapping out out of the 80 minerals and elements and resources that power these big industrial societies – we're at the exhaustion level at, of over half of them right now. So it's not just the climate destabilization. It's a whole, again, a slew, a whole crescendo of other factors that are really bearing down on us and everybody's ignoring them and the, and the population juggernaut just keeps screaming ahead and adding a billion people every 12 years. Absolutely. And um, so with the, you know, the climate change angle, you, 
for, for the, the reasons that these governments give to you so they can basically set up more taxes and what have you that aren't actually used to combat any of the problems that you said. What's your view on their promotion of this climate change? Well, here's what happened to me. I, I, moved, I lived and worked in uh, Antarctica at the McMurdo Station for six months. It's called The Season on the Ice. This was in 97 and 98. And I remember it was a guy named Rutledge was one of the scientists down there. And he was he would we'd have two science seminars every week. Uh, and these were world class scientists. I mean, the tops in the world. And they started showing us the, the, the climate destabilization models back in 97, 98. And uh, and what Rutledge told me, he says, this is going to continue to progress and, and if I can take you back to uh, that 94 million barrels of oil being burned every day, uh, right now, according to uh, James Howard Kunstler, who is the author of The Long Emergency, which is a book on what we're doing to ourselves, uh, and, and it's going to create a long emergency, uh, and that is this. China is, as I said, adding 27 million new cars uh, net gain every year is adding uh, 8 million more people. That's 8 million more smokestacks. It's all this, you know, industrial, unbelievable pollution. Well, because of China's, you know, prolific ability to grow, uh, it's going to be burning 98 million barrels of oil every single day itself by uh, 2030, according to Kunstler. And he did all the figuring on that, all the mathematics. And that means the 94 million barrels of oil we're burning right now around the world total will then jump to 98 million uh, by the Chinese within the next, what, seven, 14 years from now? Yeah. 14 years. I mean, this is 2016. 2030 is not that far off. So then you've got 98 and 94. you got over 180 million barrels of oil. I, you know, just look at the math on that. Look at the output. And something's got to happen. Something will happen. And whether it manifests in global, you know, global climate destabilization or whether it manifests in poisoning the oceans beyond the point of where anything can live in them, we've got a problem here, Andy. And it's, it's not being solved. It's being completely avoided and ignored. Yes. And, I mean, um, we've got uh, 10 minutes left, just over. And so what I'd like to do is, is there anything that you'd like to talk about? Because we wanted to get, you've got some great information out to the people. And is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you about that you'd like to talk about in this time? Well, yes. Uh, again, this dilemma for humanity, certainly for the United Kingdom, for Europe and all of the Western countries is also a worldwide dilemma for all people. And in fact, uh, it's, it's down to food. And when people don't have enough food and water, they go to they go to war against each other. Uh, I, I think it was Clint Eastwood, the famous movie star, who said, uh, uh, "You know, you know, whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting." Uh, so you can see the, the the difference there. But when it gets down to food, uh, the Green Revolution arrived uh, in the in the in the 1960s uh, because of Norman Borlaug. And while accepting the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970, he said, and I quote, the Green Revolution has won a temporary success in man's war against hunger and deprivation. It has given a humanity a breathing space. If fully implemented, the revolution can provide sufficient food for sustenance during the next three decades. But the frightening 
power of human reproduction must be curbed. Otherwise, the success of the Green Revolution will be ephemeral only, unquote. That's pretty powerful also. And again, we either do something about this population issue worldwide as a collective species and create a international discussion on it, and, and literally, first world countries have got to stop, you know, stop taking in all these immigrants. Literally, UK has got to shut down its borders if it hopes to survive. Because, again, it won't survive when it comes to the water, to the energy, and certainly uh, to the resources and food uh, to, to uh, feed an overloaded population. And, and the sooner that happens, the more uh, and the greater chance the UK has a chance uh, of, of surviving. Uh, and, but because if it does nothing, it will become uh, a victim. And so my goal here for each of you listening to this broadcast is go to places like www.numbersusa.com and listen to Roy Beck's uh, Immigration Gumballs and Poverty a five-minute video. Just download it. It'll show you the futility uh, in gumball demonstration. Uh, also, I think UK could have somebody create the same kind of a gumball demonstration for the UK. Uh, Roy Beck also has uh, immigration off the charts showing where America is going to go from its current 324 million to 625 million uh, because of mass immigration. Uh, somebody could do the same thing for the United Kingdom and Europe, showing the futility of massive and endless immigration. You can also go to capsweb.org run by Joanne Weidman, www.capsweb.org. And the key, the key here is, is these organizations are several millions of people that know just about as much as I know, and they want to literally change course. And you have to ask yourself in the United Kingdom, where are you taking your civilization? Where are you taking your culture? Where are you taking your language? Where are you taking your way of life? And I can tell you this from my own personal experiences. If you continue on the path you're on right now with endless immigration, you're taking your culture, your language, your way of life, and you're taking the United Kingdom over a demographic cliff, over a sociological cliff, and over a cultural cliff. And at some point, there will be no British uh, culture. It will be completely displaced. And, and that's, by all, that's already immigrants. been proved in that, that article we referred to, Frosty, and, and the area that I lived in over in, in, in the borough of, of Newham, where it's, right. it's less than 30%. And um, I don't want to drag you off your topic because we've got a few minutes left, but why do you think it is? Say, for example, uh, you know, from what we're looking at, if these white nations were left untouched from immigration, then they don't seem to have had a. They don't see. It doesn't seem like they would suffer from overpopulation. My point being is that the white race birth rate seems to be somewhat more restrained than all the non-whites' birth rates. What? What? Because what's your thoughts on that? Well, that's because the the the, the Western countries, uh, the Caucasian countries, are highly educated. Uh, you have to understand this. Uh, but 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 Again. on that note, sorry, sorry, and I'm sorry to jump in, but of course these people that have come in, they, many of them are, are 
third, fourth generation now, and they're still having lots and lots of children. You know, these Muslim immigrants that we've had come in from, you know, the, right. and the blacks from the Second World War, they still have loads of children. They've gone through our educational system, but that doesn't change them. No, it's culture. It, it gets down to culture. You don't change culture overnight. You don't change culture with education. You don't change culture with reason or logic. And that's why the same thing is happening in the United States. These third world uh, people coming into the USA are still continuing with four, five, six kids. Uh, they simply, uh, and they're living on welfare. I, I, we have about 91% of all of our immigrants are living on welfare. welfare. At some point, that's going to collapse because there's no way. We have, we have 48 million people subsisting on food stamps in the United States because they simply are too illiterate to, to gain a job and to be contributing to the society. So that's the reason for that happening also in the UK. Absolutely. Um, and is there any, would you like to run through, we've got uh, three or four minutes left, uh, anything else you'd like to run through or, or take a recap on your website as well? Yes, well, thank you, Andy. And I, I hope this creates a great discussion, not, not only in the United Kingdom, but all over Western countries. You've got to push uh, men like Cameron. You've got you to push people like Blair. Uh, you've got to push the, the PMs. Uh, you know, uh, you've got to you've got to collectively gather yourselves as citizens into these collectives like NumbersUSA.org or CapsWeb.org or Skill.org, uh, you know, FrostyWoldridge.com, uh, in order to uh, to create a national discussion. The CBC or or certainly the uh, the BBC, you need to push speakers into the forefront and demand that. This overpopulation aspect of immigration is 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 addressed, and that you get top speakers, uh, and, and you get top scientists, and you get this in front of the, you know, the the British people and all of Europe. Because if you don't, then again, you'll sit by and become a victim of this thing, uh, when you could have been actively a participant in changing the course of history. And again, I ask, what direction is the United Kingdom going in? Where are you taking your civilization? Uh, and instead of uh, like the Titanic running into an iceberg, a population iceberg, I would recommend that you uh, shut down the engines, uh, change course, go slower, and take actions that will help the United Kingdom uh, survive rather than simply become a victim of mass immigration that has no solution and only destroys uh, the uh, countries who import all of these people. And again, uh, Sweden right now is a doomed country, uh, but U United Kingdom is probably not that far behind, as is Denmark and Finland and uh, the uh, Germany and even Austria, certainly Italy and Spain. Uh, all of them uh, are in the gun sites, if you will, the crosshairs of this population overload created by immigration. And so you either do something or your children get to become the victims of it. And I can tell you, having traveled through all of the third world on a bicycle at 12 miles an hour, you don't want to end up like India or Bangladesh. Uh, you don't want to end up like China uh, because it is horrible uh, it is, it, it, and it can't be changed once it happens. So I hope that's, that all came clear today in this last hour with you, Andy. Absolutely, Frosty. And I mean, I was just thinking, what happens is the... Uh, groups that largely left-wing groups that promote immigration they always use emotion they say oh if we don't let these refugees in they'll die but the fact is as, as you've said today if we do let them in then we'll die 
That's right. That's exactly correct. If you do let them in, then you will overload your civilization. And then you all get to live in the same kind of misery, the same kind of suffering. It's called the human misery index. And you all, you you literally become a victim of all the immigration. So it's a no win. It's a lose lose. And it is a civilization destroying uh, force, Uh, whether it's the cultural aspect of it, whether it's uh, the sociological destruction, whether it's the linguistic chaos or whether it just simply uh, ends up in civil war. Uh, And what you saw in Paris, France, or what you saw in Brussels, uh, what you see in Malmo, uh, in Sweden, uh, what you saw uh, in uh, San Bernardino or Fort Hood, or or what you're seeing in in Minneapolis, Minnesota right now, we all call it uh, Somaliland. Uh, These Somalians were bush people. They they have no ability to function in a first world country. They can't be educated. They can't be integrated. They simply can't be a part of what's going on. So they are simply an enclave uh, and an Islamic enclave. uh, And it's practicing Sharia law, which is probably the most barbaric, most violent, misogynistic law of any religion on the planet. And uh, it's, it's coming to you. It's coming to us. And the only way to stop it is is to stop it at the borders and stop mass immigration. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Frosty. Frosty, that was a wonderful broadcast. I'm sure that my listeners will be listening to this one again to get all the links. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I'll be back with you all soon. Bye for now. You have been listening to The Andrew Carrington Hitchcock Show on the Eurofolk Radio Network. Andrew's book, The Synagogue of Satan, is now available on his website, andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com, in an updated, expanded, and uncensored edition.